All right, everybody. What's up, man? It's Big Handsome. Now, listen. Last night, I had dinner with some friends of mine. And I made one of the worst sales pitches of all time. And it's been shaking me to the core. Because I'm Big Bochi. I'm supposed to be nasty at sales. I've sold so much stuff in my life. And I'm like, dude, why did that go so bad? And know why it went so bad? Because sometimes even the goats blow it, baby. That's just the facts. So listen, we're currently making a movie. And so I'm working with a bunch of Boston-based brands and companies saying, listen, if you toss us that cheddar, I'm going to get your product in my movie and I'm going to do some pre-rolled ads on the podcast, right? So we already have a a couple of Boston-based brands slash Massachusetts-based brands that are sponsoring us. And so not only are we going to give them a plug on the podcast, but we're going to give them the best plug of all time on the podcast. I'm going to redeem myself for that terrible sales pitch last night. All right. So with that being said, let's start, let's start off with my boys from Boston Empire. Dude, I don't smoke weed. I don't do weed products, even though I probably could use some. These boys at Boston Empire are the best salesmen I have ever met in my life. They're the type of guys that regardless of the efficacy of their product, you're like, dude, I want to buy from that guy because that guy understands me. And so I love getting around them because they're hustlers. They work hard and they built this on their own and their business is booming. Listen, they're going to be physically in the movie if they show up to set on time and they show up straight edged. Kevin, Red Rocket, you guys know I'm talking about you. And... What I would do is if CBD products or hemp products interest you whatsoever, head over to bostonhempire.com. I've been to their stronghold. Their product is Legitskis, and they like helping people out, okay? And those are my guys, man. They are hustlers. They're wicked good dudes, and they're just guys who want to build a massive company, and they want to do it their own way. And so I can totally understand that because I want to do the same thing. I got to make this movie first, though, and it's stressful, But shout out to my guys at Boston Empire. The Red Rocket and Kevy Buckets. I got you. Listen, I'm a little space-brained, right? I don't really understand how the numbers behind a business work, but I do understand how to hustle and how to keep something going, right? My guy, Greg O'Brien, he was on the podcast like this time last year. I just saw him a couple days ago. He had his quarantine beard flowing. I said, dude, I think you're the king of the seaport. He said, dude, you said it, not me. You feel me? So listen, he's sponsoring the film. We're going to work his product into the film. And what I would recommend, if you have a startup of any kind, he works like specifically with startups. So, you know, like some of these dudes from like Harvard and MIT who are building these cutting edge companies. If you want to make sure someone's on the books for you and he, and how to set your taxes up and all your money up to build that company in the first five years, he's your guy. And his business is absolutely booming, and he's a hustler. And above all else, he looked like he was in pretty good shape when I saw him. I saw a little bit of vascularity in that bicep, and I was like, damn, Greggy Buckets, you're looking kind of good. He goes, dude, I know, quarantine was good to me. He also had a nice um, he had a nice complexion at the time, like he had a nice... He was sun-kissed, kind of like a Toll House cookie. He looked like, looked pretty clean. But that's my guy, Greg O'Brien. Head over to gregobriencpa.com, and he's at Greg O'Brien, at Greg 
underscore O'Brien underscore CPA on IG for that content. And I'm going to have Greg back up as GDP grows. I'm going to have Greg back up because he'll tell us how we should finesse the numbers and help some people out. That's my guy, Greg O'Brien, sponsoring the GDB film. Yes, sir, baby boy. Okay. The third person slash company who is sponsoring the GDP film is my guy, Scott Sigmund, a.k.a. The Fro Man. Listen, Scott was on the podcast. He was one of the earliest podcasts I ran with a professional, and running his podcast was essential to get professional people up on the show. Not only was that a very important episode for me in terms of growing the show, but he made this wicked complicated topic about orthopedics really simple. And he was the one who fixed my shoulder. So I would not be on the crucifix program right now if it wasn't for that guy, right? Listen, Scotty Buckets, he runs an orthopedic surgery center, right? Well, one, he's a massive surgeon. I was just at his center the other day and like the dude's business is booming, but he runs his side business. It's not even a side business because it's booming called OrthoLaser. So pretty much if you get busted up, like let's say you tear your ACL or your labrum or something and you're like, dude, I do not want to take any Oxycontin for this. Addiction runs in my family or I don't want to get into pills. I have an addictive personality and prescription drugs are bad in the first place. He developed the own technology, his own technology, a laser that can give you reparation in your muscle where you don't have to take any pills. That is crazy shit. And also, he's got a podcast. I want to just make sure I get this down right. The Ortho Show. And I was talking to him the other day. I was like, dude, The Ortho Show? Why don't you just call it The Fro Zone with that George Washington wig? What? Listen, shouts out to Scotty Buckets for sponsoring the film. We're not going to let you down. I actually have a great scene for you on to work you into. And uh, dude, you're an awesome guy. So again, that's The Ortho Show. It's a fellow podcast. If you're into orthopedics and you're a professional and you're into that LinkedIn crowd, that's my guy right there. Nonetheless, man, shouts out to you, Scotty Buckets. Let's keep it rolling, baby boy. Whoa. Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hall of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a quick GDP Minute. Hey, man, thanks for listening to those advertisements. Those are my guys sponsoring the GDP movie, baby. Let's go. So listen. We just wrapped an episode with a young man named Rob Kearney, a.k.a. the world's strongest gay. And about 10 minutes after the episode now, right, it's wrapped up. I'm just thinking to myself, nobody is more meant to be famous than that guy. Super charismatic, super smart, super athlete. And he's a total outspoken leader in the gay community. And he's, a, he's like a dominant athlete. It's never happened before. And he's like a really friendly, nice dude. He, you might have seen him recently on the Joe Rogan Experience. He was a, a guest on Rogan's podcast. And we just tried to find an angle for this episode that was like, I wanted to talk to him about shit that was different that he didn't really talk about on the Rogan episode. And so we talked a lot about like being thrust into fame. He works a nine to five right now while all this other stuff is going on in his life. So I can't even imagine what that's like. And he also talked a lot about the growth of the sport and the future of the sport. Listen, man, I'm not going to give you a huge breakdown on this one. You already know we came through with the value. I really, really hope you guys enjoy it. The GDP movie's in the works. 
and we're just buzzing along over here, baby. It's a night episode, so it's a little different for us. Want to shout out to the research squad. Riley is editing this one. And listen, man, you know this. If you by chance get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, you cry, you might even learn something, dude, just share it with a friend. Thank you so much, guys, and I appreciate everyone who's been supporting the show. It means a lot to us. All right, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Well, hey, man, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, this will be fun. I'm Connor, by the way. I know we already talked, but on the phone, I got Sarah Slugs. I got Riley. I got Brendan. I got Lexi as our producers. Guys, say Sweet. what's up. Nice to meet everyone. Guys, say what's up to Rob Kearney, a dude who could literally break you in half. I will remember none of your names, but hi. <laughs> hey, so um, real quick, you just set the record, right, for the log press. What was the recovery like for that for you? Like, were your limbs blown out for like a week or two after that? No, I was back in the gym. I did that on Saturday. I was back in the gym on Tuesday. So there's no recovery for you post-competition? Uh, no, I'll just kind of jump right back into it. Have you ever seen that Jay Cutler video where he was describing his like meal plan where he was like, hey, um, yeah, I have to wake up at like 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. because if I don't, I'll lose like eight pounds a night. Have you ever seen that? I have. Luckily, I don't have to do that. Okay. So you're, you can maintain your calories, like just sleep through the night and be okay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sleep at least seven to eight hours every single night, but like I eat like between five and 7,000 calories during the day. Sounds like fun, but I know it's not. <laughs> when it's clean food, it sucks. When it's junk food, it's great. Well, hey, man, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Rob Kearney. I am the first and only openly gay professional strongman in the world. Uh, I just recently broke the American log press record of 476 pounds that I put over my head. Uh, and I've been doing strongman for 11 years. And where are you located currently? You're in like the forgotten area of Massachusetts. <laughs> so I live in uh, Wilbraham. So I'm just outside Springfield. Now, Brendan lives in Westboro. Brendan, how far are you from Wilbraham? Very far. But our friend Mike Knight lives there. Oh, you're in the sticks. <laughs> wow. I know where he lives. So, but in your gym is in Connecticut, correct? Yeah, so my gym is about 40 minutes away from my house. So you spend like hours in your car on a daily basis? Yeah, and then I also I actually work for Bay State Hospital, um, and I work up in Greenfield, which is like where the Yankee Candle Factory is. So I drive an hour north to work, and then I drive an hour and 20 to an hour and 30 minutes south to my gym to train. You need to get a car sponsor, like a Dodge Volt or something. I like, would love that. I mean, I drive a very economic car. I drive a Honda Civic now, but you know, dude, me it. too. <laughs> what year? What year is your Civic? I'm a 2014. W what color are you? Are you burgundy? Black. I, I have a burgundy 2016, but yeah, the mileage man can't beat it. Oh, it's awesome. Doesn't pick up chicks though. I'll tell you that much. Luckily, I don't need to have that problem. True. You're wiped up. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I think a lot of people who are tuning into this have already probably seen you on Rogan's podcast. Like, what was that like for you? Was it like most awesome thing of all time? 
Yeah, it was so cool, man. You know, like I was heading out to LA to compete in a strongman contest. Um, and I had just started filming a documentary that I'm in touch with the, with the director for. And we were trying to think of ways to kind of crowdfund to be able to put the money together to get this documentary up and off the ground. So Rogan actually started following me on Instagram right after my husband and I got married and Arnold Schwarzenegger tweeted about us and posted us on his Instagram as well. So Rogan started following me then. So I was like, I mean, hell, he already follows me. Might as well like shoot him a DM, see if I can get on the show. And it literally just happened like that. I would like shot him a message at like seven o'clock one night. And within like 10 minutes, he's like, yeah, man, when do you want to do it? Come on. No way. So, yeah, it was wild. Um, so we, we planned it. So like when I was out in LA for my contest, I just extended the trip a couple of days and went on the show. And it was, it was so cool. You know, he's such a chill dude. So I was uh, in the green room kind of waiting because he was filming a, another episode before me. So he walks out of the studio, comes in, is like, we're just talking, you know, shooting the shit. And he's like, all right, let's go talk about some gay shit. And then leaves. And then we go and do the <laughs> podcast. And so what was the experience like you kind of, you approached like an abandoned warehouse almost. And like, it was just kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's like totally off the beaten path in California. Um, it's literally this building like with no windows, no signs and one door. And that's it. <laughs> so, and you were aware of the platform going into it. Were you nervous at all for the interview or it was, was totally like a conducive environment? No, you know, like the cool thing is, is like, I mean, obviously, you know, had a little like freak out moment when I was actually meeting him for the first time. But after that, like, it's such a chill room. It's such a chill atmosphere where there's like no pressure. It's just an open conversation and it just kind of rolled. So there really wasn't much stress or much nerves going into it. Now, was this the first time you'd ever had like real national spotlight outside the competition though? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, I'll take that back. When I first came out in 2014 and it came out that I was like the first and only openly gay professional strongman, um, things kind of went viral pretty quickly. So like I was getting interviewed on TMZ. I was on Huffington Post. Um, Conan actually mentioned me on one of his shows. And so there was a lot of that. And then it had slowed down a lot for a few years until, uh, you know, until my husband and I got married. And then, you know, getting, um, getting on the road and that kind of opened my audience to a whole new demographic that I didn't think I'd really tap into. So when you hear you get on Rogan, do you plan like things for your brand? Do you plan on marketing yourself a different way? Do you plan on launching stuff after the episode comes out or you just run the episode? I had no idea what to do or what to think. <laughs> um, you know, in all honesty, cause like the, con the, the show was planned for the same weekend as a contest. So as an athlete, all I was thinking about was competing. I didn't really think about after the fact. And there's a really quick turnaround with those shows. You know, like we recorded it on a Monday and it came out on Thursday. So there really wasn't much time to do much planning. And in all honesty, like up until that weekend, I, you know, Joe and I had talked back and forth about coming on the show, but we didn't really like set it in stone. So I didn't think it was going to happen until uh, I arrived in LA on that Friday and like just messed with him to see what was going on. And then he, then he sent me the address and kind of where to go. So you know, everything was kind of off the cuff, but, you know, fortunately I had a merchandise website set up um, going into that. You know, if you listen to the podcast, uh, as I was on the show, we, I purchased worldstrongestgay.com because I didn't have that prior to the show. Um, Let's go. So that definitely all helped. Now, what has it done for you since? 
This is just a massive brand booster. Huge. Um, you know, I pretty much went by the way, sorry to cut you off. You do an incredible job marketing. Like you killing it. And what are you drinking right now? Is that urine, man? No, it's just green tea. Trying to be a bougie, healthy bitch. (laughs) Do you do BCAAs throughout the day too? Yeah, for sure. What brand specifically your animal pack? Animal. Yeah. That's, that's what I go with everything now. Shout out but, um, you know, as far as like after the, after the podcast, it, you know, everything kind of changed as far as, you know, social media following doubled, um, pretty much within two weeks of being on the show. So I went from, you know, mid 40,000, fo- about 45,000 followers on Instagram to over 90. Um, and it gave me a huge boost there. Like obviously merchandise sales went through the roof, which was awesome as well. And then also it completely changed everything and how I thought about sponsorships because, uh, you know, it's funny. I actually only have one sponsor um, still from when I was on that show and everything else has changed just because I was given bigger and better offers from bigger companies. So uh, my supplement sponsor when I was on that show was Blackstone Labs. I dropped them and now I'm with Animal. Uh, and then clothing wise, I was with a company called kind of fit, kind of fat, which is one of the best names ever. Um, but now I'm in with Gymshark, which is a massive fitness clothing company. Uh, you know, just huge based out of the UK. The biggest. Yeah. And, um, so being able to sign with them has just been absolutely incredible. And that's all because of the Rogan podcast, because that's where all these people found me. Who are you still with Herb Strong? Uh, no, I'm not even with Herb Strong anymore. Um, SBD is the company that I'm with now um, still. And they've been one of my sponsors for the past three years now I've been with them. And they're, um, they're lifting a, a supportive equipment. So belts, knee sleeves, elbow sleeves, wrist wraps, that kind of stuff. Now, is, are CBD products legal in the league? Oh, yeah. They don't drug test? They don't dope test at all? We are drug tested. Um, you know, so like we can't be like doing lines of coke and then going to lift stuff um smelling you know, salts are, are totally okay though right totally fine yeah that's just ammonia typically so there's really no no, no nothing like harmful comes of that besides you know your nostrils feeling like they're gonna bleed so i think for the vast majority of our audience a lot of them understand strong men they get like okay there's this league of these massive alpha males who like lift tons of shit over their head and pull trucks and stuff but can you kind of just start by describing like your commitment over the years and like kind of what your day-to-day is like in maintaining your physique and just kind of all the thought that goes into your, into your nutrition and planning? Yeah. You know, for me, um, like I mentioned, so I, I started the sport back in 2009 when I was 17 and I actually was competing under 200 pounds in body weight. So I kind of worked my way through the entire amateur circuit here in the U.S. So I competed under 200 as an amateur until about 2011. Um, 2011, I jumped up to the lightweight class, which is 231 and under, and um, competed there. In 2013, I actually won the amateur national championship in that weight class to turn pro. Uh, From there, stayed in the 231 class in 2014, 2015, took second place at America's Strongest Man actually broke the log press world record in that weight class. And I still hold that. And then, um, 2017 is when I jumped up to the heavyweight division. And that's when I got my first shot at world's strongest man. So, you know, it took me eight years of being in the sport to get to the highest level of competition. And throughout that entire time, I was just slowly gaining weight, getting stronger, 
um, and just getting better at the sport in general. So, you know, when I was competing in the lower weight classes, I actually treated myself a lot like a wrestler or a UFC fighter where I would kind of walk around about 15 to 20 pounds over the weight class weight that I was competing in. And then I would cut down um, to make weight. And then kind of with 24 hour weigh-ins in the sport, I was able to rehydrate, you know, so like when I was competing, really? I'd weigh in at 231 the day before the contest. Next day after I've eaten and I drink, I'm usually back up to like 246, 247 when I'm competing. Um, so would you do the traditional weight cut at that time, like spit into a cup, hit the sauna, like steam room, sweat everything out? Yeah. So what I did is I, um, I did a thing called water loading. So when I was a week out from the contest, I cut all carbs from my diet and it was pretty much just like, the old, the only carbs I would get is from green vegetables. So I'd eat like chicken and spinach or that's about it. And, um, I would actually water load. So I would start by drinking like three gallons of water a day for like two days and then slowly decrease it. And then uh, 24 hours before the weigh-ins, I would cut all food and water and flush everything out of the system. And in that last 24 hours, I typically lose almost 12 pounds in a 24 hour time period. I did it recently. I had a competition with my friend who's a fitness YouTuber who could get leaner in a three month period. And I was spitting into a cup like a maniac, did the whole water loading thing, lost 14 pounds in like less than 36 hours. It yeah. is excruciating. I, I can't imagine. Doesn't that mess with your mental though? Like you're, you feel like you're totally shifting your body within 24 hours before the competition that you've been training months for. So I'll tell you about the last time I did this kind of cut. And it was when I was competing at the lightweight world's strongest man that was being hosted in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So it was my first time traveling internationally while cutting weight. And so Joey was with me, we're on the flight and the flight was horrible. I was having like these flashes, like I was shivering and sweating, then I'd be nauseous. It was just horrendous. We land in Dublin and then had a two hour bus ride up to Belfast. We get on the bus in July. There's no air conditioning on the bus and the windows don't open. So we're driving up to Belfast and uh, you know, I'm cutting weight, weigh-ins are in about four hours. And all of a sudden, like I just get this like horrible sense of nausea. I look at Joy, I'm like, I'm gonna puke. And there's nothing around me except somebody's used McDonald's cup underneath. Oh. The so I, I took that, you know, puked in the cup. Uh, Were you, you know, accurate? I was, I was. <laughs> I mean, luckily at that point, you know, I was 22 hours in with no food or water. So it wasn't exactly much that was going to come out. Um, but I ended up making weight. But, uh, you know, it was at that moment as I was puking in a stranger's McDonald's cup that I realized I was never, ever going to do this again. So how do you prepare now? Do you just kind of sit at the weight you want to compete at? Yeah, you know, it all depends on the competition, really. So when I, was, when I did the log press record just a few weeks ago, um, I got pretty big. I actually got up to like 296 for that event just because I just needed to be super, super strong and didn't really have to move that well. Um, my static strength was all that mattered. So now with world strongest man potentially happening in November, depending on what's going on in the world, um, I'm going to try to bring my body weight down back to around 280, uh, which is kind of my sweet spot of bo for body weight where I feel like I can still get stronger and move really efficiently because in strongman, while yeah, we do have to be super strong to lift all this crazy stuff. We also have to be athletic at the end of the day and be able to like carry sandbags and kegs through the sand and like doing all these moving events. Um, so we have to have some form of that form of athleticism to go along with it. 
has anybody ever examined the long-term implications of like the stress you put on your body? I mean, I know it's such a new sport, but like, is anyone worried like, yo, we're doing crazy shit to our body. This might kind of backfire in like five years. I hate to be a negative Nancy, just asking. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if there really has been a study like that, but based on what we go through and, you know, I think because of where the sport has gone, it's gotten, it's gotten a lot more popular over the last few years and athletes are really taking care of their bodies a lot smarter than they used to. I think, you know, I mean, personally with me, you know, I have a nutrition coach and I have to get blood work done every six weeks just to make sure everything's moving in the right direction. Um, and then, you know, that includes, I, you know, I'm tracking my resting heart rate, my blood pressure and all that fairly regularly. So I think when you look at it, um, you know, strongman athletes are actually pretty healthy. I know we're, we're massive people. And, you know, I say that as we as I'm the smallest one of the athletes competing against these other monsters. But, um, you know, you look at like, you know, kind of icons in the sport, guys like Bill Kazmaier that were competing in the 70s. That's kind of a, you know, a strongman household name here in the U.S., um, Magnus for Magnus and you know those guys are still kicking and still lifting and they're in their 60s right now so I think as far as like long-term health goes I think it's 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 not as bad as people think it is did you ever see yourself making a shift like when you're done competing to try to just get like super lean like six-pack ripped up or you think y'all just be a big burly boy you know, I, I could care less about having a six pack. It's, don't <laughs> lie to me. Get out of here. I'm man. not kidding. You're like, I have never, like, I like looking at it. I don't need to have it. So <laughs> I dude, everybody wants a six pack. I, you know what? It's like, to me, like being able to deadlift a thousand pounds seems way cooler than having a six pack. Cause in my mind, anybody can get a six pack, you know, but for me, it's like, I'm going to be one of the only people ever to deadlift a thousand pounds. So I think that's way cooler. That's a fact. But what I'm saying is like, let's say your competing days are over, right? You're like a dad, you're like 45, you're brolic, that beard's got a little gray in it, right? <laughs> you wouldn't think of like, hey, let's do a crazy cut and try to get down to like 210. Possibly. I mean, I might, you know, I mean, I can't say, I can't say no off the bat. You know, there's a good friend of mine who was competing in Strongman for a long time, who was that exact scenario. I mean, he was, he would walk around on almost 400 pounds um, granted he's six, six, but you know, then he actually cut down to do a bodybuilding show a couple of years ago. So, you know, I'm not going to say no, but as of right now, I don't really see it happening. I hear you. I like ice cream too much, man. Can you fit that into your macros? Uh, typically I can. Yeah. Just, well, I mean, I get like one, one to two cheat meals a week and that's typically what I go for. Now, now what is your macro split now? Um, oh God, I don't even, I know I'm eating, uh, so right now my average is like 4,500 to 5,000 calories a day. Um, so typically I'm at about, I'm at about between 280 and 300 grams of protein per day. Fat is only about 70 grams of protein, 70 grams of fat per day. And then everything else is carbs. Where do you get most of your fats from? Uh, so most of my, most of my diets just red meat. So I eat, I eat like on average three pounds of ground beef a day. Oh God. Yeah. What are you tossing that for condiments? So nothing actually. So with my, with my diet, um, I actually just mix everything into a bowl. So like I put like the ground beef, the rice, I add in um, spinach and peppers and then I actually add in eggs as well. 
mix it all up. I actually use bone broth in there to make it so it's not super dry, then throw some salt on it and I'm good. So is that, is that advice based on, from a nutritionist saying you can't put condiments on it or you just don't want the extra calories? Um, there's no, I don't have like a need for it. You know, like the food actually like genuinely tastes good. You know, like I'm a fat kid, man. Like if it doesn't taste good, I'm not going to eat it. So, you know, for me, it's like, it's pretty motivating at the fact that I don't need condiments, but you know, I will say I was at stop and shop the other day and I did find some like sugar-free barbecue sauce and I'm definitely going to mess with that. Dude. So when I was leaning out like crazy, I was looking for the best possible condiments that were low calorie. A little hack for you and all your strongman buddies. If you get like salad dressing seasoning and you don't mix the Greek yogurt with it or like water, mad low calorie. It's like five calories and it tastes bomb. That's good to know. We got to start a cookbook, me and you, man. I do have some like ranch seasoning packets in my pantry right now too. So five calories, baby. Easy. Love it. So, yeah. So when you do a grocery haul, do you normally hit stop and shop? That's kind of bougie, man. That's expensive. You don't hit that Trader Joe's or the market basket, like the working people. <laughs> um, well, you know, I will be honest, like I, to make it even bougier, I do have a meat sponsor. Um, so they send me all the beef that I need, which is great. Um, and then typically, you know, whether it's, um, you know, I will do most of my produce and stuff like that at Aldi cause I am a cheap bastard. So but Stop and Shop does have the the sugar free barbecue sauce. So, and what's that? Make wraps. And what's that receipt looking like on a weekly basis for your food for your meal prep? Um, if I have to buy my own meat, I look. I I try to spend. I try not to go over three hundred and fifty bucks a week. Um, <sighs> yeah. But now that you know, I have a company that sends me you know almost. 40 pounds of meat every two weeks. Uh, I, that's a big chunk of the budget that's out of that, that we don't have to worry about anymore. Now, how would you do this on a budget when you weren't sponsored though? Like how would you approach your meal prep for guys that are coming up now? You know, and that's something I did for a long time. And my biggest thing was um, I found a discount butcher in the area or made friends with somebody that was a manager or a chef at a restaurant to shop at restaurant depots. Um, so when I was coming up, like a friend of mine was a manager at a restaurant and I would be able to like kind of pretty much tell them what I wanted. Uh, they would pick it up for me. Then I would pay the difference to, you know, so, you know, I'd be able to get, you know, 12 dozen eggs for a dollar a dozen um, because they're getting it at the restaurant depot instead of going to the store and paying three bucks. So, you know, little things like that. And like, like I said, you know, became friends with a local butcher. So I was getting like 10 pound bags of chicken breast for about 15 to 20 bucks, which isn't that bad, you know, compared to what you see in the stores now. So it's just shopping smart like that. And what about for a carb source? Would you just do like potatoes or like parboiled rice? Rice all the way. I mean, it's super cheap and you get a ton of calories out of it. And uh, one thing also that I learned and I started doing that's, that helps a lot is just actually adding dextrose to your rice. Um, so dextrose powder you can buy on, on Amazon for like, I think I got 10 pounds of it for like $20. Um, if you put dextrose in it, it just ups the calories more so you can spread that out a little bit further. Now, what is dextrose? It's just a simple sugar. And it's calorie dense? Yep. So what happens to your body if you don't hit maintenance calories on a daily basis? Um, I'll typically lose 
anywhere between one and four pounds, depending on how active I was or what I was doing in the gym. And that's just overnight. So are you in a constant state of anxiety? Like, oh my God, I have to force the calories and I have to get the meals in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's super stressful, especially having what I call my quote unquote real job. Um, you know, I, I work in the healthcare field and I'm seeing patients on a daily basis and I get a half an hour lunch break, but you know, I bring my food with me to work in thermoses. So it's hot and ready to go. So I'm just like shoveling it in, in between patients at my desk, uh, whenever I can just to try to spread it out and get the food in. And then, you know, it, it is kind of a bummer because like on days that I train, I'm in the car for a long time. So I'll drink a shake, but there's not a ton of good calories in shakes. I mean, they're, they're convenient, but I'd rather get all my nutrients from food sources instead. And, um, you know, that typically just comes down to when I get home at night, I'll double up on meals sometimes uh, just to make up for the calories before I go to bed. Now, like you're kind of becoming famous, right? Which is awesome. It, has it been a weird adjustment for you? Like, yo, I just had this big Joe Rogan podcast and I just set this world record, but I'm still working a nine to five. Is that, is that weird for you? It's super weird. Um, you know, I, I was working the regular jobs for a long time and actually quit um, last summer around this time and just did strongman for a few months. And then at the start of 2020, when it came time to get health insurance, I actually got denied. Um, I was told that my choice of profession was too much of a liability to insure. So essentially because I was lifting weights and exercising as a career, they didn't want to, you know, insure me because I was putting myself at risk for getting injured. So it pretty much forced me to get a job. Uh, you know, at the time, my husband was still in grad school, so there was no option for us to get the health insurance through him. Uh, so I really just kind of had to swallow my pride and get back on the wagon. I also mean just like on a day-to-day -day basis when you're seeing clients and stuff, like you have this rising career in your sport. But at the same time, it's like you're in a service industry. Like, wh what is that like? I mean, people don't, don't know who I am. You know, like, I, but, I, I mean, never, you know who you are, though. You're like, damn, I'm like kind of the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's cool. But I think like it also helps keep me humble. Um, you know, I have a lot of projects and things that I'm doing outside of my job. So for me, having having that stability is kind of nice. It helps me keep me a little bit level and focused and uh, kind of in touch with reality to a sense. And you know, it just it definitely puts the strain on things. You know, when I get home from work, you know, it's just on days that I don't train like today, it's, you know, recording podcasts, writing an ebook, um, doing other interviews, you know, setting up stuff for my documentary or other TV shows. So like there's just a lot of stuff going on, but it's all stuff I love doing. So it's a lot of fun. Now, growing up, did you always want to be famous? Did you always know like you kind of, you might've had a bug and you were special? I don't want to sound conceited, but yeah, dude, I feel the same way about myself. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, um, you know, growing up like in high school, I was always like super outgoing. I was, I went to a, a pretty big high school. Like I had like 600 kids in my freshman class. Where'd you go? Uh, uh, Norwich free Academy in Connecticut. Okay. Word. Um, so there was like, and I graduated with like 530 or something like that. Like I was class president. I was in a band. I was a football player. I was also a cheerleader. Um, so I kind of did everything. And then like, you know, we think back to high school superlatives uh, and I was voted like most likely, most likely to succeed and most likely to be famous. So, you know, it's kind of like Put a- that on your sleeve, man. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to that. Um but yeah, you know, like from a little age, like I loved performing. I was really big into music. I, I 
you know, like I said, not to sound conceited, but like I liked being the center of attention and I liked having the spotlight on me. So, you know, I think that's just, uh, you know, where, where this has gone, you know, you know, it's funny, like I always wanted to like kind of be famous and be in the spotlight, but I never thought it would be doing strongman because based on like, you look at my stature compared to the guys I compete against, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing in this sport. Um, you know, I compete against the mountain from game of Thrones, the dude is six foot nine, 440 pounds. And then there's me five foot 10, 280, you know? So it's just, it's wild to think that I'm getting this level of success and recognition in a sport that, you know, I really shouldn't be based on my size. Now, have you felt prepared for it over the past couple of months? Like once all this attention has started to come, like, were you ready for this or is it kind of an adjustment? Um, you know, I think it's definitely an adjustment. And, it, you know, this is like a conversation my husband and I have like almost on a daily basis. Um, because once like things kind of started blowing up after Rogan, we were talking and he was like, this is not what I thought my life was going to be like. You know, like he wanted the very stereotypical like white picket fence kind of life. And Boring. Yeah, which like there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, I that's just not what's gonna happen with our life right now. You know, I mean, it's working on this documentary now and um, coming out with a children's book and then possibly another TV show and like there's just a whole mu- there's so much stuff going on and it's so exciting and to me that's what's awesome about life and kind of riding this roller coaster as I can and then you know what if I want to settle down once all this stuff is over then I'll do that now. Um, you know, settle down to that kind of lifestyle. But I think for right now, with the momentum behind me, why not ride it out? Now, do you think the sport will grow over the next five, 10 years? One thing we, me and my producers were talking about, is like, you know, the sport's so exciting. Like when you watch it, when ESPN spawns it, but it's not like it's something you can work into youth sports. You can't have like five-year-olds picking up rocks <laughs> over their heads and like slamming them, you know? You know, I, I think it will. It's, when we look at where it is in the U S compared to where it is saying like the UK, the UK, it is massive. When I compete over there, we compete in front of 12,000 seat arenas that are completely sold out. And it is a spectacle. You know, we run an entire five event show in like four hours or so. Um, So it's just cranking through keeping high energy and stuff like that. And I think that's where the sport is moving. It's moving into these exciting high intensity live shows that people can really get excited about. Um, the hard part is it's like, it's not terribly relatable, you know, like people look at CrossFit athletes. They're like, Oh, I could do that. They look at us pulling fire trucks. They're like, yeah, there's no F and way I'm going to do that. Where do you get your strength from? You have a propensity for it. Like, do you have like a really strong parents or no? Uh, it's funny. Like nobody in my family is really athletic whatsoever. Um, I just am a glutton for punishment. I, I love the, I love the process. I love learning. Um, you know, ever since I got into the sport of strongman, like I became a student of the sport. So I was studying YouTube videos and like, you know, I went to Springfield college and I would drive from Springfield mass to Jersey for the day just to train with people that were like stronger than me and knew more about the sport. And I really just kind of became obsessed with it and engulfed myself in it. And, um, really just found this passion for it that's taken me to where I am today. Yeah, but you have some sort of genetic predisposition for your body to be able to lift that much weight over your head, don't you think? Possibly. I mean, my dad's tiny. My dad's like 5'8", 140 pounds. What the hell? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's insane. You, do, you have, do you have like big uncles or like grandparents are big? 
not really. I mean, like one of my uncles was like on the bigger side. He was like six foot tall, but like not a big burly dude. Dude, so like were you just drinking a lot of milk growing up? Like what the hell happened, man? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I was like always chubby growing up. So like I think I just kind of fell into a sport that I knew that I didn't really have to like run that much and could just like get strong doing. Yeah, what about cardio now? Are you just like anti like treadmill? Oh yeah, no, there's no way I'm getting on a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> how, how fast how fast could you run a mile, you think? Oh God. I would I would be really happy if I was sub 10 minutes. Dude, so I pride myself on being alpha. You can't tell now, but I'm ripped up, baby. But I was like, I started to help out some of my friends start training. And so I started running like a month ago and I would post my times. And I had no clue how atrociously slow I was until I posted my times. Like in a two mile, like a two mile, I'd be doing like 21 minutes. Everyone would be like, dude, what is wrong with you? Do, do yes, you see, I look at that as like fast. I'm like, yeah, there's no way I could do that. Well, you can sprint though, right? Yeah, I'm really good for like, you put me with some heavy weight on my back for about 70, 80 feet. I'm, I'll move, um, but then I'll be done. <laughs> I'm really good in a straight line. I can't really move side to side. Now, how do you navigate focus on like a day-to-day basis? Like you've just got so much shit going on and it's just so weird to me that you work like a traditional nine to five job. How do you like really go intense when you hit the gym or how do you really tap in onto the, the branding end? You know, for me, it's like, it's a switch, right? So like I get to work, I can flip that switch, put on my professional pants and like be just happy, go lucky, Rob, doing my job, get it done. And when I leave, that's when for me, when I leave work, that's when the real work starts. Um, so, you know, for me, going to the gym is like punching the clock. It's another day at the office. And that's where, um, you know, it's even funny. Like even when I compete, like I'll be joking around and dancing, having a good time backstage. And then when the times to come, well, once they announce my name to compete, um, it just like flips like that. And I just turn all that focus and energy into whatever I'm doing. And I kind of use that mentality with all the marketing stuff and branding as well. And it's like, you know, I make every Sunday night, I sit down on the couch, pull out my phone, look at every day of what I have to do. And I make to-do lists hour by hour for each day um, on what, you know, I need to do in order to make the day most successful. And that's pretty much how I've been able to get to this point while juggling everything. So when you get into the gym, you can turn off your brain from the nine to five completely? Absolutely. But you can't really turn off the strongman brain when you're at work, can you? Never. I'm always, you know, I'm always like, you know, because like a big part of me is like social media, you know. So if I go into work at 730 in the morning, but I know a hot spot, you know, a hot time to post on Instagram is going to be 9 or 930 or noon, depending on the day and what I'm going to be posting, then I need to be able to like step away and be able to get that post out um, in order to make the most of the timing for social media platforms as well. Now, in social media specifically, like you're so outspoken as a gay dude on social media, and I'm sure there's like tons of people that look up to you. Is that like a weird obligation for you now? Like, oh, I kind of like owe it to some people because I'm like this gay leader in my sport. It's so weird. And I never thought that I would like have this kind of clout just by saying I'm in love with another man. You know, it's, I get so many positive and loving messages all the time. And then, you know, I also get at the opposite end of the spectrum where I get assholes just berating me 
um, on a daily basis as well. So it kind of, it comes and goes um, and with the territory. You know, like I said, I've always been unapologetically open about my sexuality because in my mind and where my platform has taken me is really just showing like the importance of LGBTQ plus visibility in professional sports. And, you know, this is something I was just talking about the other day with a friend of mine. It's like, you know, when we look at professional sports, on the women's side of things, there's a good amount of athletes we can think of that are out proud lesbian women that are actively competing in their sport. For men, there really aren't any out gay men that are actively competing at the professional level. Typically, gay men come out after they're done in their sport um, and their career is over, but there's nobody that's kind of in the thick of their sport kind of going at it or even at the top of their sport that's competing as an openly gay man. It'd be like you, Michael, Sam, and like Jason Collins, but he came out afterwards, right? Yeah, he came out after. And, you know, Michael, Sam, he's not, he's not on a team right now. So is that, do you feel a pressure with that? A little bit. Yeah. You know, um, but for me, like I look at it all, like, you know, one of my, one of my flaws, my husband says is like, I always think of everything in a two in too positive of a light. Um, so I like, I never look at the bad things that could happen. I just always look at the positive. And for me, it's like, it's so inspiring to get messages from, you know, young kids that say, you know, because of seeing my profile and seeing me being so proud of myself and open with my sexuality, they're able to come to terms with themselves or getting a message from a parent who said, you know, my son or daughter just came out and I didn't know how to handle it or what their life would, lead, would look like for them. But seeing what you're doing gives me hope. Um, you know, it's those kind of messages that, you know, kind of motivate me every single day to keep doing what I'm doing. Does the social media negativity ever tap into your brain at all? No, I love it. Um, I literally read every single negative comment or message that I get. There's a lot of people that don't, um, but I read every single one of them. Are you one of those dudes who like is driven by negativity and not positivity? hundred percent. I'm with you, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, like, you know, the reason I read them is because I use that as fuel in my training every time I step into the gym, because in my mind, there's no bigger F you to that person than me succeeding. We call that operating from the dark side. Have you, have you always been that way? Like you've always kind of been fueled by negativity? I don't know if I've been so much like fueled by negative negativity as like, I really just didn't care what other people think, like thought as far as like, I really could care less what people were thinking of me. It really didn't play into my persona. I really did. I never let it bother me. Um, and now like once I started getting more hate mail, I guess is what you'll call it. Uh, that's when I've been able to like turn it into fuel and like, just it like pushes me every time I'm in the gym. Is it, is it weird for your husband? Like you're, you're at the pinnacle of gay athletes. I'm sure you're getting mad attention from other dudes. Is it like tough for you and your husband to like navigate that? Is there like a jealousy um, factor at all? Fortunately, no. You know, I think it's, um, it's funny. There's a lot, a lot of my straight friends that are in the sport, they get hit on more than I do. And I think it's That's because, BS, dude. <laughs> I think it's because Joey and I are so open about our relationship on social media. You know, like we don't hide our relationship whatsoever. So I think people have come to respect that and they know where we stand. 
you know, that, that isn't to say like every time I do a and a I have somebody asking me if they can join us in a threesome or they try sending me. <laughs> but like, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure your DMs are absurd. Yeah. You know, but like, I, I ignore those messages. Like, you know, they don't really, you know, actually most of the time, if, if I do get pictures sent to me, Joey and I will just make fun of the person that sends them. Um, so, you know, it's, it's never like a jealousy thing. Are you a, I'm bouncing around a little bit here. One, you having a good time, man? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I wish we could have run this on, in our studio. It's a little more fun in person, but whatever, man, COVID. Yeah. Um, when you were young and like coming up, did you have this like seed planted in your head where you're like, you know what? I know I'm gay and I kind of know I have some of the skills to be super successful. Like when I get there, I'm going to use my platform to like really be an outspoken voice or did it kind of happen naturally? It definitely, it happened naturally, you know? So like I came out pretty late. Um, you know, I didn't come out until I was 22. So as I was going through high school, like I, I was on another podcast and kind of asked a similar question and I described myself as like an asexual high schooler and teenager where like, I really didn't care about dating. I didn't really like look at girls, obviously, um, or other guys really. I just was like super focused on what I was doing and having fun in the moment. And then actually I got into college and dated a girl for about a year and a half. Um, yeah. And you know, realized that totally wasn't my thing whatsoever. So what was that like when you figured out like, damn, I'm with this chick, but I'm not into her. Um, you know, it was weird. You know, it's fun. like, I still think about this, you know, whenever I'm on these shows, I'm like, I can never think of a reason why it happened. But literally one morning I just woke up and I broke up with her because I was like, I need to figure this shit out. I was like, I've been, I've been like, suppressing these feelings for so long and I just got to a boiling point where I was like yeah f this I don't want to do this anymore um so that yeah it happened like really quick and like very matter-of-factly and it was obviously like the best thing that ever happened to me oh so you you weren't like building up the confidence to break up with her you just like cut ties yeah totally okay sorry sorry to interrupt you but yeah you were talking about like having a, a seed planted in your head of like being an outspoken voice. Yeah. You know, and that actually, um, that, that actually, that came from Joey. So the first competition he really ever came to was out in Columbus, Ohio. I was competing at the amateur world championships and I actually set the amateur log press world record at that event. And, you know, as we were, we drove from Springfield to Columbus, Ohio and on our drive back from the contest, he looked at me, he's like, you know, you're breaking stereotypes. And like those words totally clicked. And we kind of turned that into a hashtag, breaking the stereotype on Instagram. It just kind of ran with that. And it was from that moment where he kind of planted that seed into my head where I realized that I could really use my platform in an amazing way to possibly change a lot of lives. It, it's just so interesting to me that you don't like you don't feel any pressure. Like, it's just you, man. It's like, I, I feel like if I was in your position, I'd be like, damn, like I'm the only voice for a lot of young gay dudes out here. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm an openly gay dude, but I'm competing in this super alpha sport. Like I have to perform and I have to be that guy, but like, damn, bro, you a confident guy, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think for me, it, you know, 
for me, it comes across like if I'm always genuine and I'm just being myself, then I don't have to worry about the pressure. You know, I think that's one thing like people have come to love about me is, you know, my personality and I'm, you know, kind of what you see is what you get. Like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to laugh. We're going to have a good time and I'm going to be outspoken about a few things. And, you know, that hasn't changed regardless of where, you know, my quote unquote fame has taken me. And that's been probably the most fun part about it is because, you know, I still have friends from way back when I'm still meeting amazing new people on the ventures that I'm going on now, but you know, that's, I've never really like put pressure on myself because I've just always stuck to being me. It's a good lesson for me, man. Thank you. No problem. I might, I might cry, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I think one thing that you, we didn't, you didn't touch a whole lot on in the Rogan podcast is like just your, your thoughts on pain. Like, are you a masochist? Do you like enjoy like the physical struggle or are you more competitive? Like what drew you to the sport initially? Um, I, I will say that I think it, it's more of the pain thing. You know, I think, um, you know, a lot of what I do with my coach is pain tolerance training. You know, whenever him and I train together, the one thing he's always in my ear about is you can breathe when you're done. And, uh, you know, there's just no quit no matter what. And, you know, to be honest, like I'm not a terribly competitive person outside of strongman, you know, like my husband's the exact opposite. Like he will, you know, attempt to murder somebody if he loses an Uno. Whereas I'm like, oh, it's the card game. I really could care less. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but like when it comes to being in the gym and being in the sport of strongman, it's just like, I want to work harder than anybody else. I want to put my body through the ringer time and time again. Uh, to prove to myself and to everybody else that I can achieve these things. Because when I was coming up through the sport, like I was told by a lot of people, like I would never get to world's strongest man. I, could, I would never be really good at the sport of strong man. All because like I was this like pretty chubby, like unathletic dude that was showing up to these strongman contests. I got my ass kicked for a long time in this sport and I wasn't good for a long time. So I just was super, super stubborn and just worked my way through time and time again to get to this point. But you remember the people who said that, right? By first and last oh, name. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> who, what's been like something negative that, that kind of like flung you into a real competitive state? Like, so, is there anything you think about a lot when you were coming up that you're like, yo, look, like I totally proved you wrong? You know, I don't think it was like one instance in particular. I think it was just the culmination of a lot of people doubting me. You know, that's kind of where I came with like came up with my mantra quote that I talk about on shows that, you know, train to be the person they said you would never become. And it's because so many times as I was coming up in the sport, I was told like, oh, you're not big enough to get to the big stage or, you know, you'll never really be that strong to do that stuff. You know, and it's uh, I think just like hearing that time and time again throughout the years. And like I said, it took me nine years to get to world's strongest man or eight years. So that's eight years of hearing people tell you you're not good enough and you're not going to make it to this level. So I think, it, like I said, it was just like the culmination of all of that over the years is what put me over the edge to really just put my head down, put my nose to the grind and just say, you know what? F you, everybody. I'm going to do this. You're winning now, man. Let's go. That's right. Do you think like right now you could, you could go fuck around and compete in the NFL? I think I'd be a pretty good, like... Lineman. I think... Yeah, lineman, I'm actually kind of small. 
You'd be but a I'd, be pretty, I'd be a pretty good pulling guard, though, because like since I am smaller, I can move pretty well. Did you want to play any college sports? So originally, yeah, um, I was scouted to play football. I was I was an offensive lineman in in high school, and then I was actually scouted for cheerleading as well. Um, I had seven D one offers for cheerleading. Were you just um, launching chicks in the air? Yeah. <laughs> um, and what came, I, you know, I made the smart decision and I realized that, you know, I wanted to become an athletic trainer and go into sports medicine and I wouldn't be able to do those things while pursuing that degree. Um, so that's why I ended up choosing Springfield college, um, with their athletic training program. And it ended up being the best decision ever because I also joined the powerlifting team when I was there. And that's what kind of put me on my path to competitive lifting. What does a D1 cheerleading scholarship look like? Would they have given you a full ride? Yeah. Where were, well, who was looking at you? Like, who are the dope cheerleading schools? Um, so I was looking at Ohio State, Florida State. Um, Kentucky was like a reach school for me because they're like one of the best in the country. Um, UConn was on, the, was on the ticket as well. And some of the other schools were, were you know, they're escaping me now. But Ohio State was a big one that I was really interested in um, for a long time. But, uh, yeah, you know, when it came down to it, you know, skill-wise, I, I would be able to do it. And it would have been great. But, like, cheerleaders, I mean, it's, it's like one of the hardest D1 sports to do because you're, not, you're every single season. You're in, you're in season, right? So it's like fall is football, winter is basketball, then spring is competition. So it's like a full-year sport with no breaks. How did that work in high school that you played football and cheerleading? Like you just, just winter and spring, you would just cheerlead? Yeah. So I just cheered in the winter season, which was for basketball and competition seasons. And then the spring for me was dedicated to, I was shadowing in the athletic training room with my high school AT. And then I was also just lifting for a football season. Did anyone in retrospect be like, dude, like, are you gay? Like, like you were playing, <laughs> you were the cheerleader. Yeah. You know, like coming out, there wasn't a huge surprise to many people. <laughs> that's hilarious yep yep were you nasty in high school at football i was solid like i wasn't like crazy good but you know i played left tackle so i was on the blind side because i could move to the outside pretty quick and take on the dn um but you know like i start i started as a sophomore so i did pretty well um i was an interior lineman my first two years and then senior year got pushed out to, to left tackle so um, I was good, you know, but I, you know, I don't think it was like anything to write home about. All right. I'm just going to leave the floor for some of my producers to ask some questions. Riley, let's start with you, man. What do you want to ask Rob, dude? Hey Rob, this is Riley. Um, total kind of left turn, um, but you're obviously a pretty big dude. And this is a question I feel reveals a lot about a person. Is what bug do you feel the worst about when you step on it? What bug do I feel the worst about when I step on it? Oh, gosh. I've never thought about this. I would have to say, like, from a pure, like, creepy standpoint, like, beetles, just because they crunch, and I feel like I really did some damage. So it's not like one of those quiet steps, like we're like, okay, step on an ant, you can't hear anything. But like when you hit a beetle, like you can like hear it. So like, I know I definitely like literally crushed it. Now, Riley, what does that reveal about Rob? Does that mean he's like a serial killer? No, I think your answer was serial killer 
bad about stepping on any bugs. I did not say that. I said I didn't want to step on ants. I felt bad about ants. Oh, okay, ants, ants. No, I think you know a totally reasonable response. You got a real fresh mouth, Riley. <laughs> that was a great question. Hey, Lexi, you want to hit Rob with one? Hey, Rob, mine's a bit more of a serious one. So you talked a lot about what it's like to be a gay athlete. And my question is, do you think there will be a rise in acceptance of transgender athletes as gay athletes are becoming more accepted? I really hope so. And it's, it's something that I've worked on a lot with a lot of different people. Um, you know, luckily in Strongman, we do have a completely trans-inclusive policy, which is absolutely phenomenal to open up the sport to anybody that wants to compete. And um, actually, a good, of my, good friend of mine, um, her name is Janae Marie Kroc. She is a trans powerlifter. She doesn't compete anymore, but prior to her transition, um, her name was Matt Kroc, and he was the number one powerlifter in the world. Uh, and like the most alpha male dude ever was a Marine, was, you know, veteran, like has kids, was the number one powerlifter in the world, came out as trans in 2015 and is now just kind of leading that charge in strength sports for trans athletes. So I would absolutely love to see more acceptance for trans athletes to compete um, just all across the board. Now, so your friend is now trans competing in women's strongmen or women's? She doesn't compete anymore. Um, so she actually stopped competing when she transitioned. Um, and that came from a point where she has too much respect for the sport. And because she was so successful as a man, um, she did not feel it was fair for her to jump into the women's category now that she identifies as a woman. Um, I was going to so say, like, cool. imagine if you were to transition and then you were to compete in this sport where, like, obviously men are much more tailored to compete at a high level. Like, it would be so unfair. Yeah. And, you know, like, if, if I was in her shoes, I would do the same exact thing. You know, like, I would step away from the sport, become more of an advocate and um, be involved that way, as opposed to using the advantages that I've gained over the past 11 years of competing and, you know, transition into, into the female category. Um, but I think for those athletes that are just coming into the sport and they are transitioning, I think it absolutely is, you know, a viable option to allow trans athletes to compete. Sweet. B. Let's hear it, dog. Yeah, man. So I'm wondering, what is the process of adding new events to the sport? Because I know you got, like, the classic ones, like the log press, the truck pull. But then you got, like, the was the wheel of pain. Like, you have new ones that they're coming up with. Um, do the athletes have any input? Or, like, how do they come up with those new events? I wish we had input. Um, they, they kind of, so they brought the wheel of pain in, in 2019, I believe was the first year for that at the Arnold. And, um, you know, it was the first year any of us has seen an event like that. You know, there, there is an event that's similar to it called the Conan's wheel, which is where you have to pick weight up in your arms and you walk in a circle until you pretty much collapse. Uh, this was just a different version of that, right. Kind of based off the movie Conan the Barbarian for Arnold where we just had to push this massive wheel in a circle for as far as, as, far as we could in 60 seconds. Um, and then this year, this past year at the Arnold, they debuted another new event where it was the, called the trial by stone event. So we had to clean, the, clean and press the first two stones. The next two stones we had to load onto platforms. And then the final stone we had to carry 50 feet. 
So that was like the most all-encompassing strongman event any of us have ever done because it takes all strongman events and puts them into one. So there's a press, there's a load and a carry in one event. So as far as like, you know, athletes, we really don't get in any input into what events are going to be at shows. Um, heck, sometimes we don't even know what events are going to be at a show until we show up. So I think that's more on the, now that the sport's getting more popular, they're looking at what's going to look cool on TV. That's also going to be really hard and heavy for the athletes to lift. Now they don't tell you like five, six months before when you're training, like, Hey, we got a new event. Nope. When do you learn what the competition is going to be like a couple of weeks before? Uh, it, it depends on the show, right? So like the Arnold, we got those events about eight weeks prior before the contest. So, but like world's strongest man, They'll send us a list like six weeks before of like 20 events. They're like, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. And then when we show up at the contest, that's when they tell us what events we're actually going to be competing in. But you know there was going to be a log press, right? Like, Not always. So like for my record, I knew there was going to – I was asked just to do the log press event. Um, so I knew I was training for that and that's it. But like typically at a contest, you know, like for an overhead lift, there could be a log press. It could be a dumbbell. It could be a barbell. It could be, you know, anything. Do you think there's a – I saw this on Rogan's show too. He was talking with Robert Oberst about like there being a negative ROI with deadlifts. If you were a non-strongman, would you still deadlift? Yes, because I think it's badass. It's an ego lift, dude. Yeah, and it's a way cooler ego lift than a bench press. You think so? Yeah. Well, you know, like to me, it's like, okay, I can pick up 600 pounds or like bench press 275. But dude, then it's like, I'm getting these popping ass pecs from this bench press. I'm just getting these stiff legs from this deadlift. Yeah. No, you get a fat ass from a big deadlift. Yeah, but chicks don't always care about that, man. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I think. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't know. Like to me, like, you know, if I go to LA fitness and I load up the bar to 76, 765 and I deadlift that and walk away, I get a lot more cool looks than if I go in a bench 405 and then walk away. What can you max right now on the bench? I have no idea. Um, I honestly probably haven't maxed my bench press in five or six years. Ballpark. Uh, I would say I'm probably good for mid fives. I would say, yeah, I would say like 550 was probably, probably a good spot. for. Are you a resident of Massachusetts right now? I am. Dude, let's just look it up right now and see if you can set this record. <laughs> no, I, 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 had a, I had a friend who tried it and he got close. Let me just look this up real quick. This might be kind of fun. But your gym's in Connecticut, right? Yeah. But I mean, I could just do a Massachusetts contest. You know, I know enough people in the state. Dude. Why not get another record? Here it says, oh, but it's based on weight class, right? Yeah, so I would be probably, what was it, 308, 275, 308? Raw, full, raw bench. Yeah. Open men. They don't even have one. Oh, cool. I'll just go set it then. Yeah, you could just go set it really easily. Sweet. I'll take it. The record for someone who's sub 165 was 350. That's, that's pretty bad. That's nothing for you, man. You'd eat that. 
Hey, going off another random question, would you rather square up with a grizzly bear or a polar bear? Ooh. I'm going grizzly because I feel like if I'm if I'm fighting a polar bear, there's way too of a good chance that I'll get dragged into the water and drown. At least if I'm fighting a grizzly bear, I feel like I'm on like in a forest or some shit and I can like try to get away a little bit easier, but like polar bear would be tough in all that snow ice. What if it's a neutral site? Oh damn. You're messing with me, dude. All right, great white shark or killer whale? Oh, I'm going great white. Absolutely great white. Orcas right? are vicious, dude. Horrible. They kill great whites. I know. They look majestic, but they're psychos. Hey, slugs. Let's hit Rob with one, dude. Hello. Um, what up? Um, for me, it a hundred percent comes down to technique. So as you know, Connor and I were talking before, you know, like I became a student of the sport really early. So what I did was I started watching what people were doing and I learned how to adapt those to make it work for me. So, you know, like when I'm doing a log press event, I utilize a movement called a split jerk where I actually drop under the log, split my feet into a split stance and then fully stand up as opposed to big guys that compete, they do more of like a push press, which is more like a static lift, just bending the knee and using raw power to get it overhead. But making adjustments like that is what has, you know, kind of gotten me to the point where I can break these records and do this cool stuff um, because I've made the events work for me. How many years is it going to take you to win this thing? When are you going to win it? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say if I don't win it within five years, I won't. But you could win it in the next five. Potentially. I mean, that would be so major, dude. It would, I mean, I honestly, I'd probably quit the sport. I probably wouldn't compete after that. Um, yeah, you'd be a legend. You already yeah, are. But, like, dude, you'd walk away like. <sighs> yeah, to me, like, if I won, I would get out of it, leave on a high note, um, end with the win, and just be done and, you know, take my career wherever it took me from there. Um, I do have a good chance to, um, in September. So there's a contest going on right now that is the pound for pound world strongest man. Um, so I'm entering that and that I do have a really good chance at winning, which will prove that, you know, I am literally the strongest man on the planet pound for pound. Um, so my plan is to win that and that'll hopefully be announced in September. Who's your tightest competition for that? Um, honestly, there's, there's a lightweight lifter. He, he weighs like 175, 180. Um, but just due to the calculation compared to like to total amount lifted to body weight, um, him and I are pretty close. We're kind of neck and neck. Now, how do they calculate that? Is it just based on like total mass you can pull in within an hour? Or? So all they're doing is they're testing a one rep max on an overhead lift. So the lift has to be from ground to overhead. So it has to be a clean and press of some sort can be on any implement you want. So it could be a log, it could be a barbell. Um, and then along with that, you have to do a one rep max deadlift. Um, so they take those two numbers, they combine them. There's some kind of formula that they're running them through with your body weight in, uh, that's taken into account. And it comes up with a number at the end of it. Real quick. So do the Arnold still happen this year? Because I had a friend who got a booth and that thing got crazy canceled. He lost mad money. Yeah, so... 
so it did happen, but the expo got canceled. Um, so the, as far as the sports competitions, they still went on. So, you know, I still competed at the Arnold Strongman Classic. Um, but the expo and everything, everything else was pretty much shut down. Like, you know, my parents were planning on coming out to watch me compete and they had to stay home. You know, they had to cancel their flight and all their reservations. So it was closed to all spectators. None of the vendors were allowed to be there. Um, and it was pretty much just a few of the major sports that happened. Now, what is, what is this bit, all this huge burst been like on your husband and your family? Like, have they been able, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, you know, like it's, it's just a lot to handle, you know, like between managing social media managing merchandise, um, trying to, you know, like I said, you know, I mentioned our documentary that's, that we're working on now. Um, you know, luckily, like I have an agent that I'm working with that is making life a lot easier, but on the other hand, it's also opening up a lot more opportunity for me. Um, so that's just kind of adding to the stress, even though logistically it makes things easier on us. Um, who's that blue sky? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with blue sky now. Shouts out to Sam for making this happen, man. Um, and yeah, you know, like it, it is super stressful and like, you know, cause like I, you know, you and I were talking before, like, it's not where we saw our life going. We didn't see us doing this stuff. We didn't, I, I didn't, I never thought that I'd be literally getting on a plane every single month to go to a different country to compete. Um, but that's just how it kind of happened. And it happened really organically and naturally. And I didn't really have, I didn't really like, that wasn't my goal. It just happened as I was getting better in the sport. And as I was still just being me and letting things happen, it just kind of evolved into what it is now and who knows where the heck it's going to lead next. Do you believe in destiny at all? Yeah, I do. So did you visualize this kind of like way back when you were just grinding? I did, but not in this specific instance, right? So like I knew I wanted to be something and someone, but I didn't know what capacity that would be in, you know, growing up, like my family members, they're always shocked that I'm doing this because they always thought I'd be a musician because I love to sing and play guitar. Um, so I never thought that it would be like as a professional athlete. Cause I think like you can relate to this. Like when you're growing up, everybody wants to be a pro athlete, you know? And like, I realized pretty quickly, I wasn't going to be <laughs> in the, you know, your, your traditional sports setting. You know, I was too chubby and not fast enough to be a baseball player. I wasn't big enough to be a football player. Those were really only two sports that I played. And there's not like, there's no like professional cheerleading that I could go into. Um, So, you know, I never thought that I'd be able to make a living doing this and have it take me in this direction. But way back when you, and even like your early men in the strong, your early days in the strong men, you kind of knew like, all right, I'm probably going to take this somewhere. Not, not even in strongman. No, I didn't you think just I was, knew, you just knew you had something, something, something. I didn't know what it would be in, but like, you know, to be honest, man, like strongman was kind of like last thing on the totem pole. You know, like I mentioned on the Rogan, like I took dead last in the first eight competitions I did, you know, I didn't podium until the 14th show that I did. Then I won on the 17th contest. So like I was bad for a long time. <laughs> so I never thought like I would be, competing at the biggest competitions in the world and getting paid to do it. Well, man, I had a really good time. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was fun. And listen, I want to get you and your husband some sweatshirts. So when we're done, I'll shoot you an email and we'll figure out an address to send you some stuff to. Word. I mean, I don't know. Do you think the post office sends stuff out this far since we live in the sticks? I was going to say, I could probably like 
strap it to a cow or something and send it out that way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, listen, we have two ending show bits. Love it. The first one, listen close. Also, it's been throwing me off the whole time. I should have brought it up at the start. Do you have two Apple watches on? No. (laughs) So one is an Apple watch. This one is a, uh, a whoop. What is a whoop? whoop strap so like it just helps like quantify fitness throughout the day um tracks your sleep tracks your heart rate variability your resting heart rate how many calories you're burning all that stuff yeah okay iron man i'm like super fit <laughs> what can i say what do you have for steps today how many steps do you do uh oh i know it's rob i'll tell you what i did we'll see if this guy's a pro athlete come on oh steps quantify pro athletes now I got 13,892 steps right now. You beat me. I'm at 10,652. Well, dude, I can't imagine how weird your step pattern is because you drive like five hours a day. <laughs> yeah. What do you listen? Work- Sorry. What do you listen to in the car? Just podcasts? No, I, um, I literally just listen to like talk radio in the morning anyway. Stern? Just like, um, no, I'm like uh, Elvis Duran. That's usually my go-to. I just want like mindless, stupid shit on the radio that I don't have to think about. So just like general media, like pop culture stuff? Yep. What went on today in pop culture? Do you know? No, because I actually, I didn't go into work until 10 o'clock. So like I slept in and didn't do anything this morning. So there was no radio? No radio. So you drove to work in silence today? Well, I mean, I just like played music on my phone. I've been like, I've been jamming out to Dave Matthews a lot lately. I'm just vibing out to it. So it's that season. It is. It totally is. <laughs> I'm nostalgic. I'm not, you know, can't, can't hit up the concerts this summer. So you're just bawling your eyes on the way to work. <laughs> just popping, <laughs> listening to satellite, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, this is the bit. It's called GDP sales mode. So I'm going to pull out my, the timer on my phone. I'm going to give you the floor for 40 seconds. Okay. Within that 40 second period, you, ha- you can pitch whatever you would like to pitch. If you have a product you're selling, a sponsor, et cetera. When there are 10 seconds left, I'm going to put my hand up. But you have a hard stop at 40 seconds. Word. Okay. Just give me Ready. two, three, two, one, sales mode, go. What is going on, everybody? My name is Rob Kearney. I am the world's strongest gay, the one and only openly gay professional strongman in the world. I hold the American Log Press record, and I deadlift close to 1,000 pounds. What I want you to do is head on over to my website, worldstrongestgay.com. You can find all my merch on that website in all sizes and shapes, including cutoff tees if you want them. We have a bunch of designs, uh, my signature rainbow mohawk. We have the jacked unicorn with heart nipples. Everybody loves a heart nipple. And then the other shirt is a strength over pride shirt. Um, so make sure you head on over to worldstrongestgay.com. Also there, you can find all of my sponsors, my clothing sponsor, Gymshark, my supplement sponsor, Animal Pack, along with SPD. Done! So close. That was a fire pitch, though. No bullshit. You, you did, that was awesome. Hey, guys. Thank you, producers. Listen, this is how we start and end the show. You got to say hi. I'm going to say this once. Do not blow this, Rob. Do not blow it. You got to say hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, no break, hi, your name, and that was 
my golden hour. So it's this is, and then that was. And dude, and dude, before you say it, man, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, man. Thank you. When, when you win Strongman, we'll do another one. Word. Love it. All right. Whenever you're ready. Hi, I'm Rob Kearney, and this is my golden hour. Next one. Hey, I'm Rob Kearney, and that was my golden hour. Well executed, baby. Love it. Hey, great work, man. Thank you so much, dude. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. This is a blast. And we're going to drop it on Monday, and we'll send you some clips and stuff. Love it. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one.